Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome to Season 3 of Women in the Arena podcast. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and thank you so much for being part of this community that celebrates women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We are celebrating yet another magnificent woman today, so let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me again this week. Today is a true personal pleasure of mine. I have been wanting to interview this amazing woman since I started this podcast. I'm joined today by Marsha Davies, and she is the Chief Operating Officer of the Mortgage Banking Association. She has so many accolades. I don't have time to go through all of them, but let me just give you a few. She is a multi-award winner, and here's just a few of them. She has received the Silver Stevie Awards for Women in Business. She's the 2018 Maverick of the Year, and you will find out why. She is the two-time winner of the Mortgage Women magazine, Women with Vision. She is the recipient of the Five Star Institute's Lori A. Maggiano Legacy Award, and she is the mastermind and founder of Empower, and that stands for MBA Promoting Opportunities for Women to Extend Their Reach. And that is an organization that has changed the game for all of us. It is my pleasure and my honor to introduce to you Marsha Davies. Marsha, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Audra, thank you so much for having me. It's really a, an exciting time, and I look forward to our discussion today. I am so looking forward to this because you have been, for me, you've been such a, a profound influence on how I view myself in my career. And I know that that is true for about at least 24,000 members of the Empower community. But what we don't know is about you. We see the woman on stage. We see the leader. But what we don't know is about you and your personal journey and what led you to who you are and what you do for other women. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in this industry called mortgage. Well, Audra, I'm going to tell you a story that I haven't told before. I will be sharing it at our upcoming Empowering You Summit because um, as I started to think about what I was going to say, a light bulb went off and I realized something that happened to me when I was a very young woman served me well through the pandemic, but it's also how I ended up in this industry. So um, the story's a little raw and vulnerable, but I understand we're in a safe place. So I'm going to get raw and vulnerable with you. Well, I ended up um, getting married at a very young age. And more importantly, I lost my father when I was only 23 years old. 
And my father, whose nickname was Big Daddy, uh, was big in all the right ways, right? Big personality, big provider, there to catch you if you fall or stumble. And, you know, as we go through our younger years, there's a lot of falling and stumbling. And, and when my dad died at a young age, I had this realization that my safety net was gone. Even though I didn't depend on him at that point in time, financially or any other way, I knew if I needed to, I could go to my father and say, hey, I need some help. Because my mom, widowed at 49, hadn't worked in 25 years. And so she was starting her life in a way that she hadn't been living it all these years that she had been married to my dad. So, you know, the burden of really kind of growing up fast happened very quickly. And it also paralleled a time where I had come to Washington, D.C., and I was working my first job. And as I said, I got married very young. So here I am um, at the ripe old age of about 25, realizing that my marriage was not working out. And this is back several decades ago. And all of my credit was commingled with my husband. And back then, it was the man who was deemed the credit holder. So even though I was paying the bills, my name was secondary on them. So I didn't even have any of my own credit established because they didn't recognize the credit that I had with my shared accounts with my husband. So as I looked at how was I going to get out of this marriage, and I didn't have my safety net to fall back on. I couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, dad, could you help me put a down payment on an apartment? I ended up squirreling away a little bit of money every month. It took nine months for me to save $750. So I had a place to go right after I told my husband that I was leaving him. And the reason I tell that story is because once I got the courage and the wherewithal to say, I'm going to take back my independence, I'm going to have to reestablish my credit, well, actually establish credit because I didn't have it, and really start on my own, it meant I needed to make enough money to support myself. And so I went into this unfamiliar industry, and I went to work for this company called The Mortgage Corporation. Today, it's known as Freddie Mac. And that's how I ended up in here. And it was a matter of being able to find a job that I could support myself with. And you know what? In a way, going to work for Freddie Mac saved me because I had a very long career at Freddie Mac and have continued a career in this industry. And the lessons, and the reason I say it has taught me how to kind of get through what we've been through in the pandemic is if you think about it, you really have to dig deep. And over the last 18 months, I found myself digging deep. And you really had to think about what was important and prioritize what was important. And most of all, you had to push forward. You couldn't keep looking back and you had to venture out into a lot of this unknown. And at the end of it, you know, you have to come out of it stronger. And I think 
that parallel has resonated with me. And I don't think often of those days because I've been married to my current husband for 35 years. So you can do the math. That was a long time ago. But when I reflect back on it, it really um, being able to have a job in this industry and one that could help me grow and an organization that, you know, gave me opportunities that I could spend more than 21 years there and then move into other jobs in the industry and be very successful independently. I, um, I owe a lot to this industry and, you know, I really owe a lot to the opportunities I've had along the way. You know, you've said a couple of things that sounded very familiar to me. Uh, one of which is that this industry allows anybody and everybody to be independent. And it's one that I've said many times, you don't pick it, it picks you. And so true. It, you either love it or you don't. And if you love it, you, it's a part of you. It, it's part of your DNA. And it gives you the opportunity to make anything you want of yourself in this space. Uh, and that was the first thing that I thought that sounds really familiar because that's certainly true in my life. And the other thing you said is not being able to establish credit in your own name. I will tell you that, uh, and I've, I've been very transparent, I turned 50 in June. I do remember a time when I couldn't get a checking account by myself. My dad had to sign for it. Right. And imagine young women listening today. They think you're nuts, right? I know. I know. It it wasn't always this way. And, you know, it's so true. Thank you for validating it for me because I I thought maybe you had to be my age and um, you're younger than I am. So I... I do remember the devastating feeling because I had been paying bills and, you know, commingled everything with my husband. And when you have to unwind all of that, and then yet to find out the system never recognized you or your contribution to that credit history was devastating. I had to start all over. Yeah, it's it's a a rude awakening. (laughs) That is for sure. That's for sure. But you came to work for Freddie Mac. And like I said, the mortgage industry is what you make of it. And, and you could reinvent yourself many times in this industry. And many of us, of us have. And you, you get to what was the mortgage company, now known as Freddie Mac. What did you find there? So I think it's a great question because I was hired there. I was fortunate enough to the first job I had in... Um, DC was working for a trade association and I was responsible for turning um, events, turning profit on their events in order to be able to, you know, have money for the association. It was one of their revenue streams. So I learned how to produce high quality events and how to save money and negotiate and all of those things that as a young person, I probably wouldn't have been exposed to. And so when the offer, um, the job opportunity at Freddie Mac um, was presented and I went and I applied, Freddie Mac, again, the mortgage corporation back then was young and it was looking for somebody who could market 
Freddie Mac at industry events. And so I had the event part down beautifully. And um, what I think got me the job was I talked about all the ways you can negotiate to save money when you do events. And it was a level of expertise because the organization, again, was still growing and developing. And, you know, they were captivated by the fact that I could come in and do a job for probably less than the budget that they had spent in the past, which they hired me, thank goodness. And I proved that. Yeah, I, I think after the first year, I gave back half of the budget that they had for what I needed to do and had enhanced their events. And I spent a lot of time in that space with Freddie Mac and then moved into other areas, communications and servicing and single family. And I did get to reinvent myself four different times. And I loved each and every opportunity that I have. But I will tell you, you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. And I I do think that that is something that's really important and and we all have to get comfortable and they don't have big big risks but you need to start taking if you're really comfortable and you're getting that feeling you want to try something new or do something different you know take a step out of the comfort zone and and go for it because I guarantee you you will be fulfilled by the opportunity of expanding your skill set and the opportunities that get presented presented once you have those additional skills. In in those days, in your Freddie Mac days, when <laughs> as you look back, what's one of the biggest risks you took that you were like, I'm going to do this, but I have no idea how it's going to turn out? Oh, that one's easy. <laughs> um, it's really easy. Uh, I, my boss, I had been at Freddie Mac seven years and I had been in industry relations, again, marketing Freddie Mac and uh, developed a department and was managing kind of all of the um, events and travel and things uh, that go that go along with it. And I was in a department, it was called external relations at the time. And my boss came to me and asked me to go to lunch and he's not the go to lunch kind of guy. And so I thought, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> what's happened. <laughs> and he talked to me about having been so successful in my job there for seven years. And I had been promoted several times, but all again, in the same kind of line of work. And again, when, when the company's young and it's growing, you can get promoted several times as the growth happens, right? You, you kind of move up and then all of a sudden things settle and you have the department and it's meeting the needs and the growth opportunities slow down. And so at this lunch, he said to me, you know, I think you've hit the ceiling of opportunity and you have so much more to offer. I want you to go manage public affairs. I had no experience. I didn't go to school for journalism. I had no idea that all the different functions, um, how they maneuver in public affairs at that time for them. Uh, It was like taking me and putting me literally in a job where I didn't know a good press release from a bad. I was going to have to figure that out. 
And I said to him, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I said, why would, you, why would you want me to do this? And he saw things in me that I never saw in myself. And he started to articulate them. He said, look, you have a team of people over there and they know the difference between a good press release and a bad press release. They know the mechanics of the job and you will learn them very quickly and you will rely on them to do the mechanics of the job. That's not why I want you in that job. I want you in that job for your leadership skills, for your ability to influence others around you, for the way that you can read a room and navigate with the highest levels within this organization and get your point across. He goes, I need somebody to lead this work in a different direction and you will do it instinctively. He said to me, you have some of the best instincts of anybody I've worked with. So I was floored because A, I had never heard that feedback or even considered that. And then B, I had to digest the fact that what he was telling me, this career I had been in that I loved, this job that I loved, I probably had peaked, right? There wasn't going to be yet another bigger, better, or another group that can get reorganized under me. So if I wasn't going to take that leap of faith and trust that he knew what he was doing with what he saw in me, that... um, I probably would have gotten bored at some point in time, right? And left the organization. And so I decided to take the leap of faith. And I will say, knowing that he was my boss and knowing that he was this invested in me, I also felt like I don't have to be shy about saying to him if something concerns me or check me on this, right? That he would he would have my back. And so, um, but it was a very high profile job at a time when some very high profile things were going on. It was in the early 1990s and um, it was a great job. It was a job that I did very well. I um, was nervous in the beginning. I got more confident as the days and weeks and months went on. And what it did, Audra, is it gave me a whole nother toolbox of skills. So I had the negotiation skills, I had the meeting planning skills, now I have enhanced communication skills, rollout skills, public affairs skills, right? All of that. And that package together enabled me to move to the next spot, which is I wanted to go into the business. And so I went into servicing at Freddie Mac where they needed all of those skills in the mid-90s. So I stayed in public affairs for four years and then moved into servicing right at the time when that first little credit blip happened in uh, like around 1996. And it just took off from there. And so um, it was a big risk. And I was really nervous when he approached me. But when I went for that job in servicing, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about servicing. I knew it at the 50,000 foot level, right? Because if I had to put out any kind of communication about it, I, but this was to get into the department and really get into the nuts and bolts. I didn't know any of that, but you know what? I knew I was going to be fine. I knew I would figure it out because I had done it four years before. And that's my approach now, you know, and it's advice I give women, which is you may not check every box 
for every skill they need. But a lot of times the skills we have are so transferable, you'll get the other boxes checked as you're in doing the job. So don't wait to be 100% qualified. That is so amazing that your, your leadership saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself and gave you this opportunity to completely change your career, which led you to so much. But, you know, it, it, you were saying things that, again, resonate with me that, you know, some of us, myself included, don't go for the risk because I don't have everything on that list. And it's, we underestimate ourselves. We underestimate how much we really actually know and that it can be used in many different ways. And it doesn't have to fit perfectly in that box. And, and what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that it doesn't matter. You can take those skills and your innate scrappiness, because that's what I think all women have in common is that we are just naturally scrappy because we have no choice <laughs> and, <laughs> and use those to build something new. That's, that's mm-hmm. what, at least that's the feedback I'm hearing from you in this experience for yourself. Yes. And I also think we, we, we as women don't um, value or pay as much attention to the non-technical skills. And by that, I mean, I think, you know, we get to a certain place in our career and we get it because we're good at doing the work. We're good at completing the to-do list. We're good at all of those things. And that's where we get the praise. That's how we, you know, have gotten other promotions. And there comes a time, there comes a crossroads, I think, in all of our careers where people want us to be the leaders. They want to see the leadership skills come come to bear in other areas where we may not be technical. And that scares us, right? That was that was my lesson when he said, I don't need you to know a good press release from a bad press release. You have a team that knows that and you will learn it very quickly. I need your leadership there. I need your intuition. I need the way you navigate. I need those things to come into this area. I have the technical skills there. So it was this turning point for me where it was like, up until that point, I was valued for my technical skills. And then I was being told, we value you for your leadership. And, and in servicing, I was valued for creativity. And, and so I think it enables us as we take these risks or as we expand um, the opportunities that we raise our hand for, it brings out other things that we can give back to our job, right? It gives you um, that spark, perhaps to have an opportunity to be creative in a way you couldn't in the job you had a couple of years ago or whatever it is. So I just, I, I find women, we really believe we have to be not only technically proficient, but perfect in everything before we raise our hand. And a lot of times our male counterparts are like, oh, I want that to be my next job. I'm just going to go apply. They don't give it the same level of scrutiny we do internally about should I should I apply, shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I. We need to start raising our hand and 
putting ourselves out there. And you've done that over and over in your career. I mean, you spent 21 years at Freddie Mac. You could have retired there Mm -hmm. if you wanted to. But you took a really scary, scary leap, you know, from our perspective of, you know, you're comfortable. Yes, you've reinvented yourself in this organization, but you knew everybody and everybody knew you and you knew all the rules and you knew all the systems. And then you get an opportunity to go work for the MBA, which is a humongous organization. And you become responsible for tens of thousands of people because you're not just responsible to the organization, but you're responsible to all the members that are in it. That just me describing it. That sounds terrifying. Uh, So how did, how did that opportunity come about? And how did you push down that fear of this really big job and say, I'm going to, I'm going to try it anyway? Well, interestingly, um, when I, I did step away from Freddie Mac for um, personal reasons, my um, mother died unexpectedly and um, my son was dealing with an illness and all in the same time frame. And it was one of those moments in your life where you're like, how many two by fours need to hit me in the head to send me a message that I need to devote my time and attention elsewhere. So um Actually, at the height of my career, I walked away from it until I could, um, again, since my father had died years earlier, deal with my mother's estate, deal um, with my son so he was healthy again. And then it was, now what do I do? Now that I've, you know, refocused on my personal life and, you know, I'm a type A personality. And as you said, this industry becomes part of who we are. And the housing crisis was happening during this time. Um, and I got a call from a former boss and colleague at Freddie Mac, who was FHA commissioner under the Obama administration. And he said, Hey, look, I need some help. Will you come to HUD and work with me? And um, he said, aren't you bored by now? Don't you, you know? And I said, well, it does feel a little weird to be on the sidelines when the housing crisis is happening, right? Because it just, you know, I left Freddie Mac in 2005 and to be gone and then all of a sudden start seeing stuff in the news, you're like, whoa, you know, um, what's going on type of thing. And so I did go to HUD for, um, we were there together for 19 months before he got the opportunity at MBA. And after he took the job at MBA and left HUD, I left HUD um, at the same time he did. And I thought, I'm going to have the summer off. He'll get into MBA and decide if he needs my skills for anything. And, you know, I, you know, I'll probably go back to work in the fall. And it turned out that he was starting on May 1st and he called me and said, I need you to start working at MBA with me on May 1st, because there's at the time when we joined MBA, it was in 2011 and MBA had gone through um, some hard financial times because it had bought a building right before the housing crisis. And then obviously um, commercial real estate and a lot of the assumptions that were made when that building was bought did not come to fruition. So 
anyway, when we joined, the organization was um, practically insolvent. And he really need, he knew it was going to be a big lift and there was a lot that we needed to do. And, you know, I'm happy to say 10 years later that I sit here and this organization is incredibly well-managed and financially sound. And, you know, it was a journey that, as you say, was kind of overwhelming. We were so engrossed in trying to make sure that the organization got into a better place and that we were giving the members the services that they need and getting out of the housing crisis, right? And turning around the reputation of this industry and getting our membership back engaged and making our events better and giving them the opportunity to engage and participate in ways that maybe they hadn't. So yes, it was big and over, it was overwhelming. And then like today I sit here and I think about everything we've been through and it was really um, the job of a lifetime. All my skills, I needed every single one of the skills that I had to be successful where I was today. And here I thought I went to help Dave at HUD, when in fact, that experience being at a regulator during the housing crisis prepared me so incredibly well for being at a trade association where advocacy and policy are really the foundation of what we need to do for our members, navigating the changes that happen in D.C. as, you know, administrations come in and go out. I knew so much that I wouldn't otherwise not have known if I hadn't taken that risk and gone to work for the government. And you don't go to work for the government because of the pay. <laughs> and I worked at HUD and you don't go to work for the government for the office space, right? Um, so at the time, I didn't know it, but it ended up being one of the best learning experiences that I got to reapply immediately when I came to the MBA. This episode is sponsored by Belleville Capital Management. When you need a friend in the small business arena, reach out to Belleville for your planning, lending, and investment needs. A friendly consultant will help you find the solutions that you are looking for. Belleville Capital Management, a friend to small business. That just blows my mind that everything that you did up to that point built upon the last skill you learned to lead you to where you at where you're at and that's just because you leaned into the scare you know and the and the fear and took a big deep breath and did it anyway you know and, and what I didn't I didn't say I didn't hear you say that you weren't scared I did hear you say that you went and went for it anyway because I I think anybody anybody would look at the situation and of course feel fear like oh my gosh what am I getting myself into correct yes and and it was one of those things that is the lesson, Audra, is it all led up to the chair I sit in today being the best job I've ever had. And I've loved the other jobs that I've had, and I've been fulfilled by them. But this job, all my skills have come together to make me impactful and effective here at MBA at a time when they really needed my skills. And so that's very rewarding. But I will tell you, with each job change, you do get that um, 
emptiness in your stomach where you're like, mm, you know, did I do the right thing? And, oh, I've got this new stuff to learn. And who do I call to get this answer, right? You know, the stuff, when you've been in an organization a long time that just comes naturally, you start all over again. And, you know, in the government, I had never worked in the government. And so that was a whole new experience because the government doesn't operate like a trade association or a private company or a GSC, right? It's And so um, if you would have said, you need to do these things in order to be where you are today, I would never have planned it. I would never have, you know, um, said, this has got to be my next step. None of that happened. It all was just by seizing another opportunity. And I will say one lesson in seizing the new opportunity is it also helps you understand what brings you joy and what doesn't. And I'm not saying everything we deal with on a day-to-day basis needs to be hearts and flowers. Like you come in and say, I just, you know, I, I, I love everything about my job. I'm not saying that. But it does start to show you the things that bring you joy, energy, creativity, you know, get that, you know, um, get that energy going inside of you. And it shows you the things that kind of weigh heavy on you or that you don't enjoy doing as much. And so you start to be able to, as you look at opportunities, ask yourself, would this opportunity fill me up, give back to me? I know the org- I know what I could give to the organization, but what would this job in the organization give back to me? And that was something I learned along the way. What a powerful lesson that you learned. And because I don't know that I've actually ever looked at a position and, and thought, will it bring me joy? I, I've looked at it and said, can I learn something? Can I get somewhere? I've never looked at it and went, what parts of this will bring me joy? And I think that that's a really big, powerful lesson. That was just sort of an aha moment right here in the middle of our conversation. I've never asked myself that question. And I wonder how many people listening have ever asked themselves that question too. I mean, if, if, I mean, you know, I've been in this industry 26 years Never at my never, not once have I asked myself that question. Well, when I um, am having conversations with other women and, and we go down this road of and I cup, you know, I, I couch it as what brings you joy. It could be what fulfills you, what um, makes you smile during your day, whatever it is. But I, I, I always advise write down the functions that you like to do, whether it's functions, tasks leadership, you know, opportunities, whatever it is. And then as you look at your job and you look at potentially other jobs that come into, you know, your when your radar of something you may or may not want to do, lay down those um, attributes that you really love and see if the new job or the new opportunity you're presenting present themselves back to you. And I'm going to give you an example for me. I always knew this about myself, but it never became more clear than during the pandemic. If I can't be with people, it makes me sad. 
And I know a lot of people, you know, there are some of my friends who are like, oh my God, this is my zone. I love being in my house, not having to venture out, et cetera. And I liked it in the beginning, you know, you slow down a little bit, you um, catch your breath, you regroup. But I get energy from being with colleagues, being with my industry friends and my business partners and our members. I, I need a job that's going to give me the opportunity to be with other people in the industry, right? Face-to-face, um, really working with them, rolling up your sleeves, solving problems, whatever it is. So um, I know I couldn't just be a writer, you know? If my whole day existed of writing, editing, or what, that wouldn't bring me joy. I could do it, but I, would, I wouldn't be fulfilled doing it. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. There are lots of things, you know, how much creativity do you want in your job? How much downtime do you want? How, some people, you know, I like writing. I just don't want it to be a, the major part of my job or even significant pieces of my job. You know, and thank goodness there's a team of people that work with me here who love to write. And, you know, it's one of those things where really identifying how you show up starts with what fills you up to me. That's, that's that those two go hand in hand. Well, that is an excellent segue into your creation, your, Mm. your baby, um, which is empower, which is actually how I got to know you more on a one-on-one basis. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about empower this organization and what inspired you to start it? Well, Empower is my baby, and she's turning five in October, so um, it's hard to believe it's been five years. As I mentioned, you know, I've been in this industry a long time, well over 30 years, and um, as I moved up within the industry, I, um, I wasn't surprised that there weren't as many women but the higher I went, because it's, a, it's been historically a male-dominated industry, and we are still male-dominated, but it's getting better. I, you know, I see more women, and um, I see more women getting opportunities in leadership. So I, I want your listeners to know the housing finance system is you know, doing great work, and we're also really focused on diversity and inclusion and all of those things. But um, as I took my job at the MBA. And as I said, you know, those first few years, we were in, in really a stabilization turnaround situation to make sure that this organization um, could deliver the value that we needed to deliver to the industry and to our members. And as I traveled the country, and MBA does about 18 conferences a year, I had this unique position to really see what was going on, not just what's going on in DC, but what was going on across the country. And that is no matter which conference I attended, I wasn't surprised that there were fewer women, right? That's, that's a given because a lot of times at conferences, there's the senior, the more senior leadership or, you know, a certain level and above. But what struck me, Audra, is the women didn't seem to know one another. And I looked back on my experience. And I thought, you know, I'm used to being the only woman in the room and 
it has gotten better, but there are still days that you can be the only woman in the room. And as I thought about women leaders that I could look up to or who could be role models, there weren't as many. Like it was, I didn't know them, right? I wasn't exposed to them. And so I decided, well, maybe the first thing I should do is see if women would take an hour out of a very busy schedule during a conference and have lunch with other women just for the sole purpose of getting to know one another and start to build a network. Even if it's just to have somebody to sit next to at the next session you go to here. And so I randomly invited 75 women. I literally took a registration list and highlighted like every fourth name, whatever it was, every fourth female name. And I invited 75 women to have lunch with me and 150 showed up. And it was this moment where I realized you just struck a nerve. And I thought, well, maybe it's an anomaly, right? And maybe it's just this conference and the women at this conference that they, that they're of a level that they are going to take an hour on, you know, on a Tuesday during the conference to have lunch and meet other women. So for about eight months, I tested the theory at all these different conferences. So whether it be our servicing conference or, you know, a regulatory conference, whatever it was, where you get different levels and a mix of people in our industry. And I would have receptions or networking events. And the pattern was the same. It would, the attendance would be double of what you would expect. And the women started, the energy in the room was getting, you know, more and more electrifying and sharing ideas and talking. And I thought, well, what if we did a little personal development with it? Would if we spent a half an hour networking and 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes of some personal development with some Q&A where we can dig into a subject that would help us be better at our job. I remember it was in New York during our secondary conference, and it was the first time I had a speaker. So we networked and sat down for lunch, and I had a speaker, and she gave some statistics about the power and influence of women and women in the workplace. And I was on stage interviewing her and facilitating a Q&A session with the audience. And apparently my boss was looking for me. And he went into the other breakouts that were happening at the conference. And one of the staff members said, no, she's at the, the event, the women's event. And he walked into the room and was blown away because it had more people, it had all the women who were at that conference practically had come into that room. So it was the best attended event of that day. And he said to me after that, he goes, you need to just go with this, formalize it, do whatever you need to do, but you're onto something. And I said, I know I'm onto something. I just, the women are so excited about it they're going to help define what it is that they need. And so Empower was born. And five years ago, October, at our annual convention, we launched it officially and we have an online community and it's grown from there. And 
our purpose really is not only networking and personal development, but with a goal of helping the women understand that they can do whatever they need to do or want to do. And by working with each other, by getting to know each other, by building a network, women are helping other women. And that's the true power of what's happening. Well, there I had mentioned in the beginning that you had a profound influence on me and how I saw myself in my career. Uh, first of all, I was at that luncheon in New York. And I believe, if I remember correctly, and I cannot remember her name, that the speaker was at that time the creator of Julep, if I'm remembering the event correctly. You're remembering Jane Park. Yes, Jane Park. And Yes. And, and she actually, if you heard Jane Park, you were in San Francisco. I was in San, that, that tells you how much I <laughs> travel. I have no idea what city I was in, but I uh, was, I was at this luncheon and that's actually where I met you one-on-one -on -one because I walked in, was floored by the number of women that were in there. And I didn't know any of them, which I thought was really strange that I didn't know any of them and being in the industry as long as I have, I'm like, how do I not know any of them? And I walked in and I happened to sit down next to you and I introduced myself and you introduced yourself back to me. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, five minutes later you were going to be on stage. I just wanted to say hi. Um, and that changed me. That changed me. And, and I, it changed me from the inside out and I'll, and I'll, described you in, in different ways. Um, being in the industry as long as I have, I was always taught by the women and it wasn't, and it wasn't maliciously, it just was that you need to downplay that you're female. You need to not show up as female. You need to show up as a professional because being a female in this industry is kind of to your detriment. So I wore all of those little junior suits that look like little shrunken men's suits to all of these organizations and, and whatnot. They weren't very comfortable. They didn't feel like me, but I did it because that's what I was told to do. I go to this luncheon. I meet you. You're in a dress. And that struck me immediately. And I know that that sounds strange, but it struck me that you were in a dress. I was like, huh, she's a leader. And she's in a dress. Huh. And then I went to the next event and you were in a dress and you started talking about things on being female is your greatest asset in this crazy industry. And I went, huh, That's something new that I haven't heard. And I started to pay attention. I started to attend the, the online lunch and learns and it started to evolve to the point where I ditched the suits. I haven't worn a suit in years. I make sure that I wear dresses and skirts and, and feel female and feminine and bring that with me. But more importantly, it wasn't just me that that was happening to. I started to notice that same trend was happening in all of the events. Um, the last Empower event that was in person was two years mm -hmm. ago in Austin. And I looked across this giant room, which was beautiful, by the way. This room was done beautifully. Marsha is very uh, meticulous about the details. She makes sure that there are 
beautiful things on the table. And we always have champagne and cupcakes because, you know, it's champagne and cupcakes. And I looked around the room and the women were all in dresses and bright colors and red lipstick. And they were women and they were connecting and they were laughing and they were getting to know one another and everything changed. I suddenly realized that you had changed everything and it wasn't just in me, but you changed it in all of these women. And that is what has just struck me as the profound change. And I wanted to mention that to you in case nobody has told that to you, is that you've changed it all. You've changed everything. You are proof that one person can change the world because you've changed the world for all of us. And we can now bring our best and authentic selves to every part of ourselves and change the world in our own unique ways too. So for that, I I thank you for being so creative and so brave and so invested in your female counterparts that you changed everything for us. Uh, Audra, I think, well, first of all, thank you for the beautiful sentiments. And um, I would say you give me way too much credit, but I hear what you're saying because you're right. There was a time in my career where I chose not to um, dress like a man or dress, you know, um, a certain way because that was how you fit in. And just to dress the way I was comfortable, the things that I thought made me feel like I was going to be the best that I could be that day. Again, always professional, but maybe not necessarily the the template. And um, until you brought it up, I never thought about it. I do think about what I wear at every Empower event only because I want to feel really, really good that day. And so um, coming out of the pandemic, it's been a little harder because, you know, there is that little extra weight that I've been working to get off before I have to get on the stage again. And so that I can feel like I can fit into that dress I love or, you know, the jumpsuit, whatever I'm going to be wearing. But I, I do hear what you're saying and appreciate that and that that can be transformative, that if you've been hiding some of who you really are, then you haven't been able to be completely authentic. And if Empower played any little part of you having the courage and the confidence to show up completely authentic, that's amazing. And thank you for that gift back because it's um, you never know how you're going to touch somebody. And um, look at what you've done with your podcast. And you're touching so many women. I bet you hear stories all the time and you have no idea of how you might have struck a nerve that changed somebody's perspective. And you telling that story just did that for me today. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, the, the, the podcast has been my, my way of changing the world. Um, it's my way of connecting women. And and that's actually one of the reasons why it was really important for me to interview you because I wanted the audience 
and the members to, to fully see you as a woman, just like us, gone through the similar circumstances, similar struggles. Uh, you know, we, we all have age, you know, we have aging parents, we have children, and I wanted people to be able to see that regardless of all of that, you still have choices and your choices and the risks that you take can lead you to your greatest adventure. And that, like I said, was why it was so important for you to be here and tell this story. Uh, now that we're coming out of the pandemic and you get to get back to putting your vision into into action rather than, you know, all of us hanging tight and holding our breath and hoping for the best. Um, what What is next in in your uh, in your future and what you see for Empower? Well, I will tell you, as, as you're aware, we are back together again um, in person at Empowering You on October 16th in October um, in San Diego. And I will tell you, looking forward, it's going to be about how do we show up in this new normal, right, with hybrid schedules and how we've come out of the past 18 months. It's really about looking forward because some of the challenges we had before the pandemic have gotten worse, not better, right? Um, and women, there are 1.5 fewer working moms right now because a lot of the women had to take a step back from their career in order to deal with all of the other things that were going on during the pandemic, whether it's, you know, schooling their kids or having to take care of parents. And so here we have a segment of the workplace, moms in the workplace who had to step back or step away. And if they did that and it wasn't their, you know, and their desire is they want to return to the workplace, what does that look like? How do we strike the right balance between work and home? How do we find the flexibility that we're going to need? And so I'm going to spend the next year working with women in our industry, making sure we find our voices and know how to ask for what we need. And that doesn't mean just from your employer. That means at home too, because there are a lot of pressures on us at home and we're busier than ever at work. I don't need to tell you that, right? Our industry, you know, um, we were fortunate to have jobs and be working and very busy during the pandemic. I know a lot of people didn't have that. And we were blessed that we were still working and, and getting our salaries and having a roof over our head and food on our table. And that was a blessing. But as we come out of it, and we look at the additional work we took on in our home life and the additional work we've been taking on in the workplace. How do we strike that balance and how do we ask for what we need as well as make sure we understand the expectations of our employer in this new hybrid work schedule? So we're going to dig deep on a lot of that. Um, some women are feeling overwhelmed. Some are feeling like their career got stalled. Some are having a hard time navigating hybrid, you know, one day in the office, back home, whatever it is. And so I think all of those are unique challenges. So looking ahead, I just think it's 
going to be using the power of this community, which is now showing up in an even bigger way, where women are reaching out. They don't need an Empower event to reach out to one another. They're reaching out directly through the community, sending notes. I think making sure we're having the right conversations so that we can help get back to a place where we feel like there is some normalcy and not everything feels kind of upside down, if that makes sense. Oh, more than you know. (laughs) 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 Yes. And your dedication, once again, to coming alongside us and making us and helping us make ourselves the best version that we can be is invaluable. It's, um, it's really important work. It is definitely a dedication and it is, and it is work that's never done. So I, I thank you once again for your dedication. Um, and I know that we are almost out of time, but before I let you go this afternoon, I wanted to give you an opportunity where you can leave a final thought with everyone that's listening, something that we can take with us and, and think about and carry with us through today and the next day and, and, and uh, just contemplate those thoughts. Well, first of all, I'm going to make a shameless pitch for if you're not part of the Empower community, it's free to join. You go to mba.org and backslash empower, and it will take you there to the page and you can join. All of our webinars are free. We have free video series, resources, all of that. Um, And if you attend an MBA convention, chances are there's an empower event on the agenda and your badge gets you in. So that's my shameless plug to say, take some time, get to know some other women and um, hear some great speakers. As I think about a final thought for people is um, to really speak up, identify what you need, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Again, whether that's at home or whether that is in the workplace, just ask for help and it will help us navigate this new normal. Well, with that, I'm going to ask you, What can we do to help you? Support your female colleagues. Support the women around you. Show up with the spirit of helping one another and lifting each other up because together we will all rise. I love that. Rising tide raises all boats. Yes, ma'am. Marsha, thank you so much for spending this hour with me and with the audience. It has meant so much to me. I am grateful for your time. I am grateful for your dedication. And I can't wait to see what we do in the future. I'm looking forward to it, Audra. And again, congratulations on your successful podcast. I had fun with you today. I loved it. Talking about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to all of you for your continued support. And I will see you again next time. that's our show. I want to send a special thank you out to our guests for being so generous with their experiences and their stories, as well as our sponsors so they can allow us to continue to tell these stories. 
I also want to say a special, special thank you to all of you, this community that we've been building one person at a time so we can endeavor to change the world one interview at a time. I could not do any of this without your support, and for that, I am forever grateful. I look forward to doing this again, so we'll see you all next week. so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is, that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me, and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you, and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time. 